What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for UFC 285. Of course, I am Jason Ford. Of course, that is my guy, Pete Rogers Jr. As we're here to break down UFC 285. Of course, appreciate everyone taking the show in, whether you're watching us live on YouTube, maybe you watch us after the fact on YouTube, or you check us out over on the podcast channels. If you are checking us out on the podcast channels, we would appreciate if you would be able to uh, hit that like button. Sometimes, Pete, I forget about closing out certain windows where I start hearing myself an echo, but got to get rid of that. Uh, being in radio, I'm just so used to someone talking to my ears. So that's not really a big issue for me, but uh, happy Friday, Pete. How you doing, man? Such a rookie. What's up, Jason? Um, happy to be here to discuss one of the best cards of the year and uh, with some of the highest stakes that we've seen in some time. So uh, cannot wait to debate this card with my boy, Jason Floyd. Thank you guys for tuning into our channel, Fight HQ. Really appreciate it. If it's your first time checking us out, please subscribe to the channel so you guys don't miss any of our content for PFL, UFC, Bellator, and whatnot. Um, excited to go through this card from a betting standpoint. Also touching on Daily Fantasy, of course, which is you know my wheelhouse, your wheelhouse. And uh, interest, interested to see where the differences are throughout this card because – there's some intriguing underdogs, and there are some underdogs that I'm going to be a little bit more confident playing and targeting. So uh, all in all, can't wait, man. UFC 285, well done job, UFC. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, the, this fight card, the pay-per-view fight card, is just an amazing lineup from the UFC debut to Upo Nickel, uh, Shavkat, Rachmanov, you know, taking that next step up. You know, I think it's a kind of, uh, I think the UFC feels this a little bit of a showcase matchup because this fight was always supposed to happen all the way back in December, now happening here. And then, of course, uh, you know, you got two title fights. And, and I'll tell you, I think from a DFS aspect, me and Pete were talking about this before the show, I truly believe in terms of taking down an optimal lineup tomorrow on DK, that that match between Gamron and Turner is key. Yeah, you said that to me. You, you were like, which fight do you think is going to be required to be a part of the optimal? You said Gamron and Turner. I think that's going to be a very important one for sure. I was kind of, you know, residing with Derek Brunson against uh, Drikas Duplessis. That's kind of where I was thinking your your mind was at. And I think they're very, very important fights for the, for the fight card. Um, it's going to tell a lot for our fantasy lineups, whether you are going towards popular plays or popular fights. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely really like that Derek Brunson Duplessis fight. And I'm not against getting to that Gamrot Jamie Pickett fight. I mean, can imagine that Gamrot Jamie Pickett, Gamrot <laughs> Jalen Turner fight? Yeah, you know, th there's a couple of you mentioned about Derek Brunson, and, and when I first started looking at the salaries this week, that was one that kind of stuck out to me because, you know, I mean, yes, Derek Brunson's you know aging as a fighter, but you know, it's one of those fights where I don't love the gas tank of either one of those guys, but also I look at these are these are the situations where Derek Brunson as an underdog has really come in and cashed in. So that one kind of stuck out to me. Um, you know, obviously we're going to break down all these fights. Ian Gary, I'm really to get your, your take on Ian Gary, because there's going to become a point to where we need to fade Ian Gary. And I don't know if it's, if it's tomorrow, but at some point it's just because these lines are just pretty out there with him in terms of that one. Uh, but there's some other fights on this card that I do think are key. I think Garbrandt Jones is another one that could be a little bit of a key in terms of being off to him. Did, uh, did I peek your brain a little bit there? A little bit. I'm interested with that fight for sure. Um, you know, and some heavy favorites on the card, some of the craziest things in the world. And I can't wait to talk about one of the hottest prospects in the sport and Bo Nickel, if not the hottest prospect. I've never seen a line like this, Jason, 
minus 650 inside the distance. I've never seen anything like that in my life. That's absolutely absurd. Yeah, depending on the sports book you're at, you know, because I, I was over at Best Fight Odds uh, this morning putting together my spreadsheet. And, you know, that, I mean, it ranges anywhere from like 14 to 1 favorite to like a 22 to 1 favorite. I mean, look, Bo Nickel, I think, is a real deal. We're going to find out a lot about Bo Nickel here uh, tomorrow night. And I'll say this for anyone who did not catch Cody Garbrandt's Media Day interview, you want to talk about a fighter not holding back? and talking about all the issues that he had leading into his last fight, going through a divorce, having to sell his house, moving across the country. And he just talked about, he said, he goes, I was in a really bad place. And I thought, you know, typically when we have these media day interviews and, and there's adversity in a fighter's life, they kind of, they tiptoe around what that adversity may be. Man, Cody Garbrandt went all in. He he let everyone know exactly what's been going on in his life, and you know, going through a divorce. They have a child together. He's talking about that, and it was it was interesting to kind of hear him open up and talk about how I I, th- I believe this quote was, "My life was in shambles." Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, right? And we're, we're not talking about robots. We're talking about human beings, and um, every single human being on this card can get sick before a card. They can suffer injuries. They can be dealing with personal issues and drama and family issues. And the, the list goes on and on. Sometimes it's like fight night comes and certain fighters just didn't want to be there. And I remember Cody Garbrandt, you know, in that media day interview was talking about like, oh, now I got to fight. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's a battle to get on the scale and then you, you have to go out there and perform too. So when your life is in shambles, um, you know, fighting could be a distraction and, uh, and your mind could be elsewhere. So, but also sometimes it, it's some of the best ways to straighten everything out as well. So, uh, interested to see how he, he looks in this fight against Trevin Jones. Um, but yeah, let, let's get going. I love it. Of course, uh, we do have our listener contest over there on DraftKings. Kudos to uh, Leo OM76 taking down first place last week. Pete, where were you? Where were you on? Shut up, Jason. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll tell you what. I, I had a good yeah. – what's this? Two weeks in a row, Jason's in the top three, so he's cashing. i tell you, I play, I play DFS a little wild. So, yeah, I think most of our community is probably going to have an edge when it comes to me in, in a single-entry contest because I, I try to just get a little too ballsy with it. But Jason's been you know, two it's, for two. Bro, that's my wheelhouse. Cashing two for two. Cash it. head-to-heads. That that's my wheelhouse. That, I mean, like I was, someone was talking earlier this week about game theory, and I was like, I go, that's why I go. Look, we, we're all chasing those big money in GPPs. We all want to take down hundred fifty thousand dollars tomorrow, tomorrow night. But I love just playing cash head-to-heads. It's, it's just a, it's a great way to build your bankroll to where you're never having to deposit on DraftKings. You're just taking money out and just keep filling up that bankroll. It's it's one of the best things I tell people to do. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to get a part of the action, make sure you guys check out our weekly contest that is definitely in our description. And, uh, you know, just join our Discord as well. It's free to join. We, we talk fights all week long. I mean, I think the conversations, as soon as the last week's card ended, we were already on to talking and discussing about mm-hmm. um, UFC, uh, you know, UFC 285 here, Jones against Cyril Gon. So, you know, we, we turn the page and we keep it going. And of course, a, a great way to show your support along with subscribing to the channel and hitting that thumbs up bit, uh, button here on YouTube is uh, check out the offer that Stochastic has for the Fight HQ listeners. Appreciate the people that have been take advantage of that. Uh, it's a great way to show your support because uh, me and Pete do get a piece of that when uh, you do take advantage of those deals that Stochastic has. But Pete, let's get right into this fight car. And uh, I'm pretty sure the... 
the banter between us is going to get good right here. John oh, Jones, it. Surreal God. And the reason I know this is because of the text message exchange uh, me and Pete were having yesterday is I had to, I had to shoot him with that gift. Oh, you crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's kind of lay it out right here. We have John Jones coming off a, a long hiatus, getting back into action, not at his natural weight class as a light heavyweight, looking to do the impossible and, and move up to heavyweight. And uh, the gap between light heavyweight and heavyweight is significant. And I, I do think that is being underestimated in a situation like this because going from light heavy to heavy is unlike anything else because, you know, I, I would traditionally say the skill level of heavyweights does not match up with the skill level of light heavyweights. But within that lack of skill, there is significant weight difference. This is essentially like a 55 or going to you know, going to middleweight, there there is a significant gap in that weight. And uh, I got to tell you, man, Sorogan's a big, big boy, and he does not move like a heavyweight at all. If we had John Jones going in there against a plodding heavyweight, it's, I mean, it's still John Jones at the end of the day. He's the greatest of all time. I I love his skill set. And initially when I was watching Sorogan against Francis Ngannou, I'm pretty sure I tweeted, John Jones beats them both. So I'm, Full transparency. I said that. So then obviously I have to do my due diligence and I have to put everything under a microscope and watch each one of these fighters fights, check out the fight film and everything. And I'll tell you what, man, I don't know what this belief I had of John Jones or this idea I had of John Jones. His past two performances were extremely poor. I did not like what I saw against Tiago Santos, who is a man basically on one leg, basically with no legs. And there was no finish there. There was a split decision there. Um, failed to secure his one takedown attempt. Um, but it's the Dominic Reyes fight for me where I was just like, really? You went two of nine in the takedown department? And I just did not see that dominance within the wrestling game. And I, I know what everybody's going to point to. And everybody's going to say, well, Sorrell Gant got out-wrestled by a knockout artist in Francis Ngano. You're completely right with that. I do think that there are some people underestimating the power and strength that Francis Ngannou has, um, just the weight in general. He's a massive human being. And I do think that throwing a curveball in a striking matchup can actually throw off your opponent. There's no way Sorogan was preparing for any defensive takedowns uh, against Francis Ngannou, even though I think he should have. But he, you know, it just threw him completely off. So, Jason, with all that being said, I do think that this is a tall order even for a guy like John Jones to do because three years away from the cage, ring rust is a factor. His past two performances aren't the best performances. Um, yes, the Alexander Gustafson one was strong. Anthony Smith fight was okay. But it's the Tiago Santos and Dominic Reyes one where I really feel like everybody's just banking on a better and new and improved John Jones to show up. I really think that Sorrell Gon's going to shock some people. I- I'm telling you that the safe way to do this is that DraftKings scoring system favors takedown artists. John Jones at 8,400 is a broken price tag for a five round fight. I really think it is. If he gets a takedown, it could just be one and done, and he could secure a finish over Sorrell Gon. But this is heavyweight, man. We see heavyweights just stand up. We see like Derek Lewis with the most lack of skill in the in the stand-up department, getting back to his feet, but he just does. I do think that people are kind of overestimating what John Jones can do to Surreal Gone, not from a technical standpoint, but from a strength standpoint. So 
I might be crazy, but I, I'm going to get to more surreal gone this week to be different than I am John Jones. And if it sinks my ship, I'm okay with it. But I really think that surreal gone is going to win this, win this and spoil the uh, return of John Jones. Can't wait to hear your counterpoint, Jason, because I already know you're a John Jones fan. So can't wait to hear it. First off, you bring up point number one. He got taken down four times with a guy with a blown out knee who okay. is a brawler. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think you can admit this. There are question marks on both sides of the equation. I, I don't, you can't, are there more question marks on the John Jones equation? I believe there is three years away. How had, how does his body transformation translate into heavyweight from what we saw at light heavyweight? And you bring up a great point. His past three fights at light heavyweight were not the goat performances that we saw throughout John Jones's run as a 205 pound champion. You know, I know a lot of people have taken these digs at John Jones on how he's framed the guys that he's brought in to work with Jorgen Castro, Walt Harris, Mo, um, Maurice Green. But I, I will turn that to people who want to say that. Who is Surreal Gone working with? What are their credentials as mixed martial artists? I, I like it's one of those things of because we do, you know, we I've tried to take in as much content as possible this week, and I'm like. Who are the MMA wrestlers that Surreal Gone is working with? That to me is a question mark. And I, I spoke about the show on uh, my show on Wednesday, Pete. To me, if Surreal Gone wins this fight, it's about making this a fight at range and stopping the takedowns. If you tell me this is a clinch, you know, phone booth type fight, I think it's John Jones' fight to lose, even without scoring a takedown. Yeah, I mean, it, it all makes sense. And everything you're saying is completely right. I, I think that that in all likelihood should happen. I'll tell you what, though. like I think John Jones, in a way, is completely underestimating what's in front of him. Cyril Gon's a massive human being with superior athleticism, great footwork. He's stressed that enough in his media. But I don't think that he's going to realize how difficult it's going to be to get a hold of him um, because of just like he hasn't had to deal with that in the light heavyweight division. He's going to get hit with shots. I think he's going to get busted up. Um, and I think he's going to be in desperation mode because if you go and you, you check out all of his fights, his most recent fights, it really leaves a lot to be desired. Like, I, I mean, Dominic Reyes, he went two of nine in the takedown department, zero of one against Tiago Santos, three of eight against Anthony Smith, one of five against Alexander Gustafson mm-hmm. in the previous matchup against Alexander Gustafson went one of 11. Granted, it could only take one from John Jones. But I saw Dominic Reyes get back to his feet, no problem at all. And I think the one situation could be John Jones's cardio. I think he's going to be surprised at how tired he gets carrying all this extra weight around, in addition to dealing with somebody who's superior, uh, who has such a strength advantage um, come fight night. It's different when you're training with somebody, but I think under the lights, I don't know. I just think it's a lot for John Jones, and everybody's expecting it to be. Typical John Jones go out there and dominate. The price point's broken. If you're a safe player, how could you go against the GOAT? I'm just telling you, I'm not that type of player. I'm going to go Sorogon here at 7,800 just to be different. Um, but I, I do think that this main event scores decently well. Um, it, it, I really do. Because if John Jones doesn't initiate grappling, I, I think Sorogon kind of picks him apart from range en route to a decision, which at 7,800 is going to be enough. 
you know, my, my concern about Surreal Khan is just he's not exactly a volume puncher. So, I mean, that, that's the only thing that kind of concerns me. You know, looking over the prop market in this one, on the John Jones side, the, the one prop that's just juicy to me would be Jones winning via submission at plus yes. 1,600. Um, you know, looking at Surreal Khan, the one that I would say sticks out to me the most is him winning via decision at plus 325. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that if Gone wins, it's probably by decision. Um, I mean, we've seen John take some big shots, even his striking, right? Like I, I do think that, you know, he's so tip, he's so used to having superior reach within the light heavyweight division. Now he's like a, a typical heavyweight, you know, whereas like he, he's kind of like in a mirror match against the Rogan as far, as far as like frame goes, a little bit of a reach advantage for, for John still, but. I think that even like a guy in Dom Reyes, like, I don't know. I, I just go back and I, I don't see the John Jones dominance that everybody else sees. I think and know the reputation of John Jones. And I think that's kind of what Vegas is doing. And what that's why we've seen this line completely flip and all the money's coming in on John Jones. I just, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm going Sorogon. Look, I, I'll fly out say this. John Jones is a core cash play for me this week. Makes sense. Yeah, it's it's probably he's probably the safest play as far as like resume is considered, you know. And it's like if Habib Nurmagomedov's on the card, I, I'm not going to steer you away from it. But me personally, I think that Surreal Gone is is going to uh, figure it out against John Jones. Yeah, I mean, to me, the big question with with John is just simply. You know, do you see any ring rust with him? You know, it's three years away, new weight class, all the pressure's on him. I mean, look, all you have to do is watch how the UFC has marketed this pay-per-view. It is, they are all in. All the chips are in the center of the table on John Jones. It's very clear who the UFC prefers to win this matchup. Yeah, I also think I was expecting a different body transformation for John Jones. Same. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's like, he still kind of looks like an overblown light heavyweight. He doesn't really truly look like a heavyweight to me. He looks like a light heavyweight out of camp. Um, he's still tall. His stature is great. His length is great. But for all this weightlifting, um, it's he's top heavy for sure. And I do think a guy who can chip away at the legs like Sorokin, uh, I, I think it could pose some problems for John Jones. Uh, I mentioned some questions that we got in the chat. And, um, you know, one of the questions earlier on the show was basically about and the whole, and really, it came from Shell Sonnen talking about Jones doing a lot of work in the pool. Jones has always done a lot of work in the pool. This isn't Correct. new. Like, this is not something new. Yeah, no. I mean, when I was out in New Mexico, um, you know, and John's from New Mexico, and uh, Cowboy Cerrone is one of the guys that really introduced swimming a lot to to a lot of the fighters out there at Greg Jackson's. So. Um, you know, it, it was something that everybody, a part of Jackson wink kind of just like added to their training regimen. So John Jones has been swimming for a long time. Anybody that's saying John Jones is in, uh, injured because of the low impact of swimming. There are tons of advantages for people who swim versus people who run less impact on your joints. Um, like Kamar Usman can't run, can't even walk on concrete, but he does other things to really get his cardio up there in aerodyne bike, swimming, whatnot. Um, it's super common. So I could just tell you that, that John Jones has been doing pool work his entire career. Uh, let's move over to our next question. Um, and this comes from James. He says, what if Jones can't get the takedowns? Well, and gone just boxes from the outside. Should we fade the main event? 
I'm not fading the main event just because I'm not in love with so many underdogs. Um, it could come down to roster construction and finding the correct underdogs, whereas like paying up a little bit for that 8,000 or 8,200 fighter might be the, the correct pivot. For me, I'm not going to be fading the main personally uh, just because I, I like to have a lot of my chips you know, riding on the main event. Um, and I just think the salaries make a ton of sense. If gone was any cheaper, he'd be a lock. John Jones is pretty much, if you're favoring him, you, you can't get away from him at that price point. 8,400 for a five round fight. It's kind of crazy. The 7,800 price point is hard to argue against. You're going to need three, 7,000 to 7,900 fighters to fit in. Bo nickel, Valentin Shevchenko and Shavkok Rachmanov. I look, I, I don't think, I mean, look, if you're trying to hammer those three fires all in one lineup, you, you're, you're dumpster diving. You're dumpster diving. It ain't going to happen. I'm not in love with any 6,000 fighter this week. Um, unless we have a fighter making in on a loss, which is something we'll get to. I, I don't necessarily foresee it happening this card. There's just too many live crazy matchups where I think just one talented fighter, at least one or two are going to come through. Of course, let's move over to that co-main event as we got a title matchup here. Valentina Shevchenko defending her women's flyweight title against Alexa Grosso, 9,400 for Shevchenko, 6,800 for Alexa Grosso. And Pete, I think this is one of those fights, and you've talked about this game theory for weeks here on Fight HQ, of you sometimes finding that fighter who's in this salary range like Alexa Grosso is and saying, even in a loss, if she can get you 30, 40 points, it could mean you taking down a tournament. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. And I've had significant success just having a losing fighter a part of my a part of my lineups um, because, you know, if, if you can see what ownership or where you can get leverage on the field, um, it, it can definitely set you up correctly, whereas I'm going to bring him up forever. He's going to be most popular DFS name out there where Coslo got me enough in a, a loss to really come through in a tournament. Alexa Grasso is in a similar situation here. Price at 6,800. She's not, uh, she's a very skilled fighter. So it's not like she's um, a bum at all. Uh, most of the fighters within the UFC aren't bums at all. And they're alive to pull off victories. The issue is that Alexa Grasso, even in being a five round fight, is going up against, you know, the, the best, in my opinion, the best uh, women's mixed martial artists out there in Valentina Shevchenko. That's, that's to be argued because of Amanda Nunes holding victories over Shevchenko. But my personal favorite, Valentina is just, she's amazing. She can do it all. She can put together high striking volume. Um, she can technically pick you apart from the outside. She can mix in her wrestling. She has pretty sound submission skills as well. I just like the way that she blends everything together. And then you have 25 minutes to work with. I thought last fight against Tyler Santos, you know, as a minus 600 favorite, it was a pretty underwhelming performance. If I'm being honest, she landed three of five takedowns. Uh, only had four minutes of control time, landed only 77 significant strikes en route to 114-point performance. So that salary where she was 9,600, even at 114, like that's that's kind of like borderline. That's just enough. Uh, we need at least 110 at 9,400 to make it work. Uh, I think that it's she has just such a great floor because she can get you a finish. She can also get you a dominant decision victory as well. Uh, Lauren Murphy in the fourth round, she scored 108, second round finish over Jessica Andrade, 138, and then 134 against Jennifer Maya. So like tons of 
fantasy potential here for Valentina Shevchenko. I, I'd give her like an A-plus rating if I had to, uh, as whereas Alexa Grasso is strictly a value play. I don't think she's going to beat Valentina Shevchenko. She has really, really good hands. I don't think that's the style to beat Shevchenko, if I'm being honest. I don't, I don't think anybody can really outstrike Shevchenko. She's going to find her rhythm. She's going to start finding out which combinations work, and she's going to just have a solution to any problem that arises. I think Shevchenko can be beaten by anybody who can put her on her back and just you know ride her out, win rounds, threaten her with submissions. We've we've seen Jennifer Maya do that in one round. We've seen Tyler Santos arguably win the previous matchup against Shevchenko by doing similar things. So I think stylistically it's Shevchenko's fight to lose, and uh, I'm going to get to her plenty even at that 9400 price tag. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things of when I was building cash lamps, it was tough for me not to put in Grosso just as a floor. You know, I, I don't think Grosso is going to win this fight. I, I agree with everything which you said there. It really is going to take someone with a grappling base. But one of the things about Shevchenko is she does get off the slow starts. And so yep. I could see where potentially Grosso could maybe, you know, take the first and second round. She's coming back here. But it, it's, you know, Shevchenko, I don't mind getting there because of the takedown upside that she does have uh, in this matchup. I, I I think that this is a matchup that's probably going to, I think it's going to hit the fourth round. And, uh, you know, someone had asked the question. I wanted to find that question, which it was basically along the lines of, um, and this came from Ryan. He said, which main event is most likely optimal Jones or Shevchenko? If they both go 25 minutes, I'm going to say the price point of Jones and gone. Yeah, right. I mean, I I would rather get to the Jones side of you know if, if you're saying Jones and Shevchenko win like this question states, to me I would you know because of the money I could save by rostering John Jones allowing me to get to other people because my cash core this week is Bo Nickel and John Jones teaming them two together and then building out the rest of my life that way in cash. Uh, but I do see where Shevchenko could just murder the slate with just takedowns and a ton of control time yeah i mean lovely stated i i I absolutely agree with you um i i can't wait to watch the fight if everything's equal right we just had alexa grasso pick up a unanimous decision over viviana araujo she scored 99 so let's say she had the exact same performance against valentina shevchenko which you know good luck but let's say she did she would have scored 69 points in a loss so I don't foresee that happening. I think we need at least 40 on a card like this. I'm not projecting a losing fighter to be a part of it, but you never know. Um, This is a fight I wouldn't stack. Uh, I can see it as far as getting different. Uh, It makes a unique build, but I I wouldn't recommend it, to be honest. Next up, we got Shine asking if you think it's going to go to the full decision. I have a sneaky uh, suspicion that Shevchenko finds a submission. Um, I, I think that she's going to be pounding on Alexa Grasso. And sometimes when, when people don't want to get pounded out, they give up their neck or they, they'll get submitted instead. So that's what I'm expecting. I, I feel like it's going to be like a rear naked choke for Valentina Shevchenko. And if you look at Shevchenko wins via submission plus 225, uh, I think if you even want to get crazy, Shevchenko wins round four. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really like doing that, picking round props and just – if I think a fighter is going to win and I like them inside the distance, sometimes you can actually set yourself up for success by fading a first round finish and, and targeting the later the later rounds. I mean, all fighters that are training for these fights are accustomed to going 
you know, three, five minute rounds, at least in training. So, uh, targeting second round and third round props, I would definitely recommend. Let's move over to our next matchup. It's a welterweight matchup between Shavkat Rachmanov and Jeff Neal. Shavkat Rachmanov is 9200 on DK, $20 over on FanDuel. Jeff Neal, 7000 on DK, $10 on FanDuel. On the betting side, Rachmanov is a 5.5-1 betting favorite in this one. I mean, look, we, we have all seen the talent that Shavkat Rachmanov has. I think this is a, is a nice step up in competition for him and Jeff Neal, but... It's hard for me not to see Rachmanov going out there and winning this one. Yeah, I mean, when you have such an undefeated stud in Shavkat Rachmanov, you, you better be damned that he's going to carry some popularity and some bias going into this this betting line. Naturally, I don't like any lines that get inflated over three to one just because at the end of the day, it is an MMA fight. Um, Shavkat Rachmanov sitting there, you know, minus five something. Jeff Neal floating around plus 400. If you are just a value player, I, I think that Jeff Neal picks aren't bad at all because his best path, best path to victory is by testing that chin of Shavkat Rachmanov. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov regionally was dropped really, really bad and looked like he was en route to getting finished on the regional scene. He overcome that adversity and he actually turned the tide in route to getting in mount and pounding out his adversaries. So it proved a lot that Rachmanov can be put in a poor, poor position, you know, withstand that adversity and uh, come out on top. But, you know, the questions still arise, like anybody can put anybody's lights out and hands of steel, Jeff Neal, if he can do one thing well, it's that he can really test that chin of yours. He just has to be accurate enough and believe in it enough. The issue is that when people go up against Shavkat Rachmanov, they are almost mesmerized at the fighter that they are standing across from and kind of men mentally checked out before the fight even begins or while the fight's going. Uh, so they make a mistake. They get a little bit too wild. And Shavkat's well-roundedness, he capitalizes and, and puts him out. And it's just such a prolific finisher that at 9,200, we're spoiled this week, guys. We really are. We are spoiled with the 9,000 options. And we're spoiled with this card. So I, I think that Shavkat Rachmanov is going to be a very, very popular play for, for parlays. In, in addition to that, how could you not want to get to him on DFS where against Alex Oliveira, 100 points, 98 against Michel Perez uh 112 against Carlston Harris, and 111 against Neil Magny. I feel like a, a decision's coming one of these days. You know what I mean? Like I, I know that he can knock out Jeff Neal. I know that he can submit Jeff Neal. He has the wrestling when he needs to use it. Um, I just, I really feel like a decision's coming one of these days because if he keeps this crazy finish streak up, I mean, it's it's like breaking history. So I will sprinkle some money just because Rachmanov wins by decision. I, I don't think that it's a a bad play by any means. But sitting there, you know, plus 250, I'm okay with it. Um, I, I am going to side with Shavkat Rachmanov. I love the fight. Not in love with the the line currently. I think that there is some value on Jeff Neal. But I do believe that Shavkat Rachmanov is the real deal. So I'm going to be picking him to get another victory. How about, how about Rachmanov wins via decision? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Plus 250, I love it. I, I, don't, I don't hate it at all. Everybody's expecting a, a you know, another finish. Neil Magny was in the second round, 9.58. Um, Michelle Perzeris was in the second round, 7 minutes and 10 seconds. 
Like Jeff Neal comes from a very calculated camp mm-hmm. where he's going to try to minimize mistakes. You already know that. Saif Saoud is going to make sure that he's going to minimize as many mistakes as possible, try to stretch this guy out into the third round, see how his gas tank is. I think Shavkat's going to answer all the questions that anybody has of him en route to another decision victory. So uh, 9,200, give me Rachmanov. Going to be a popular play, but rightfully so. Get a couple of questions in here from the chat. Uh, first up, we got Matt saying, goes, Neil is so underrated, but feels like he gets subbed. If he stands, Neil will outbox him. Yeah, I mean, Matt, Matt thanks thanks for the support, Matt. Um, he's always in here checking us out. We really appreciate it. Everybody checking us out. We appreciate you guys. Um, I, I will say that Jeff Neal is underrated, and if he has a path to victory, it's by connecting with your chin. If Jeff Neal goes out there and pulls off the unthinkable and beats Shavkat Rachmanov, like think about what you know. Like Stephen Thompson made Jeff Neal look like levels below him. You remember that fight? Everybody was on Jeff Neal. Uh, Jeff Neal was priced eighty four hundred, and I was I sided with Stephen Thompson. I believe you did too. I'm not sure, but like. It was just a calculated, perfect performance. And stylistically, it was a nightmare for him. And styles make fights. Can't wait to see if Jeff Neal can execute the correct game plan to uh, to test Rachmanov. Uh, mention this question, and we'll get into more of these 9,000 options as we get later on the show. Ryan says, how many 9K plus fires do you feel will be optimal this week? I mean, it's probably two. Yeah. I mean, and that, it, but then it ultimately just comes, uh, you know, if it's three, that me tells me we've got some very, you know, high... Uh, high value fires coming in caching. Yeah. So if there's ever three 9,000 options happening, 6,000 fighter broke the slate, or you have at least one losing fighter, a a part of the optimal lineup. So uh, you need something weird to happen. I would say naturally two, at least one 9,000 fighter. I mean, we're spoiled with this, this top end this week. So I'm going to, I'm going to say one is going to make it in. And I think it's going to be a high price target. And Andrew saying uh, fight time is at eight and a half minutes on prize picks if you think it goes to decision round three. Uh, yeah, I, I will tell you this. We're going to talk about prize picks you know, towards the end of the show. There are some prize picks plays that have really stuck out to me this week. Interesting. Yeah, I wish I could play. I can't really – I can't play on that platform, but I'm always here to help, and uh, that's that's Jason's wheelhouse. He, he's killing it over there with the props. I did see because I got a marketing email yesterday that No House Advantage basically has a free square on John Jones. Uh, what's that? It's on Significant Strikes Landed. How many? Half. <laughs> Take the under. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you should get that, at least with the, an eye the, poke. So. The John Jones haterish in you. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a big John Jones guy. Sorry. I I mean, I respect the skill set, but yeah, I'm not a John. You know, there aren't too many fe- fighters I've met in person that I've disliked, and uh, he's atop that list. Look, I, but you know this. You can't let emotion get into nope. developing lineups. No, not at all. I mean, just for me personally, because I don't care. I'm, I just want something to root. Yeah, I, I'm going to be going crazy on Sorogon this week. But my recommendation is that John Jones is the safest or one of the safest plays mm-hmm. on the slate, given takedown upside with the scoring system and giving five-round nature and just his resume in general. So I'm going to be doing the opposite, but that's what I would recommend. 
By the way, we'll know, me and Pete, we'll be back here tomorrow, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be live for one hour leading up to UFC 285 to answer any last-minute questions you have. Now, at the beginning of the show, I talked about, I truly believe that Gamrot and Turner is a key to taking down tournaments tomorrow. So, Matthias Gamrot is the favorite here, 8600 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. For Jalen Turner, 7600 on DK, $13 on FanDuel. That, that FanDuel salary is very interesting to me when it comes to Jalen Turner. But, I mean, Pete, this is initially Jalen Turner was going to take on Dan Hooker. I was going to be all in, all chips in the center of the table on Jalen Turner. I thought that was, that was a great stylistic matchup for him. He's got a much tougher opponent here in Matthias Gamron because he. we're going to find out how good is that takedown defense. Oh, yeah, it's going to get tested. And if it doesn't get tested, Jalen Turner, Turner should win this fight. So um, there's a ton of times in fights where you expect a, a guy to shoot takedowns because that's his clear path to victory, and they get gun shy, whether it's the feint of the knee, the threat of getting knocked out, whatever. It, it's not as easy as people think to close that gap and close that distance. That's why I like fights at the apex with the smaller cage or getting your opponent behind that black line and pinning them, throwing combinations where their their path to escaping is kind of uh, limited. That's all important stuff. Doing things in the open mat, it, there's so much space, man. It feels like you're in the ocean. Like I remember I was in fighting in, in Bellator's cage, and I'm like, dude, I will dance around everybody in this cage. Small regional shows, you feel trapped. You feel like you're fighting in a closet, you know what I mean? So um, I, I do think that the – the more complete fighter is clearly uh, Mathaus Gamrot. Like he's a sensational grappler. Uh, look what he's been doing. Look at who he's been fighting. Uh, if he can attempt takedowns on you, he's going to push that pace, and he breaks a ton of people with that pace. His scrambling ability is second to none. Um, you see what he did against Armin Sarukian. I mean, the guy is just absolutely legit, and it goes to show you how legitimate Benil Dariush is, guy who should be getting a title shot, you know, and, and should have had several by now. The issue here is just the power of Jalen Turner versus the wrestling of Mataos Gamera. What comes first? I personally think that if Matt Frivola was able to close that gap, throw some big respectful shots at Jalen Turner en route to getting some takedowns, Frivola went four of 13 in the takedown department and had nearly five minutes of control time, two of six in round one uh, with two, two minutes and 45 seconds of control time, one of four in round two uh, with only 50 seconds, and then one of three in round three with a minute and 31. Turner likes to throw up guillotine chokes a lot and has some really, really sneaky submissions. So Mathaus Gamrot needs to be wise of that because if he le- leaves his head on the outside, you could have a very powerful and very tricky Jalen Turner capture your neck and spoil the spoil the fight for you. Me personally, I'm just going to think that Mathaus Gamrot's scrambling ability and just fight IQ on the mat is going to result in him, in him getting his hand raised here at 8,600. Um, I really like this fight. And initially, I was like, knee-jerk reaction. I'm like, I hope Gamrot's in shape, and I hope that you know he's not 50% going into this fight because Jalen Turner can't be slept on. He, he is just such a freak, sparring with huge guys, Luke Rockhold, everybody throughout, you know, throughout his entire come-up. And now we see he's on a five-fight win streak. Josh Cooley battle knockout, submission over Brock Weaver. Uh, submission over Uros Medic, knockout over Jamie Malarkey, and a submission over Brad Riddell. I just think that all those fighters I mentioned are on the same, you know, level of Mataus Gamera. So I got to go with Gamera here. 
you know, Gamrot's one of those guys that I'm also going to be targeting in terms of whether we're talking about GPP or cash lines because of that grappling upside. And, you know, Sean was asking about if it's a takedown city opportunity here for Gamrot. It's got to be to me that that's his path to go out there. I mean, look, it's a step up in competition for, for Jalen Turner. And we, we've seen what Gamrot can do against the, the top competition. Uh, Sean over in the chat, he says, the way Turner loves to throw kicks and knees up the middle, I could see him catching Gamrot. Shooting for takedowns, what do you think? The best counter to um, the best counter to a wrestler and to kind of get into their mind is just showing that knee up the middle. And they're like, "Oh shoot," you know what I mean? But like, you got to land it perfectly because if you're throwing a knee to the body, I, I don't like the knee to the body because the knee to the body can just result in a blast double. It's got to be a knee to the chin, and you know you have to be super accurate. You better hope that he he lands it. Uh, because if not, Gamrot's onto your hips and uh, is taking you for a ride. In my opinion, this isn't a flag planting situation because I am respecting Jalen Turner's skills where I'm not going to lock button Matouj Gamrot, where I might lock button somebody else we're going to get to. Um, but yeah, it, this is a split your exposure, leaning towards Gamrot. Can't wait to actually watch the fight, though. Should be a great one. Apparently, your friends are not with you. On the whole surreal gone. Uh, We're half. And new. actually, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like me and a couple, me and my buddy Dan. And I'll tell you what, I flipped. So all the people that I was originally with are kind of like throwing shade to me now because after after watching Fight Film, I'm like, bro, I don't know, man. Like things don't always go as how people expect. And I know I was off on the Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes. I was wrong. I should have had it on the first time, um, but I was too afraid to voice it. I'm not afraid to voice it and be wrong. So I'm going to be going to Rogan and here in this matchup, I'm going to go a Matouj Gamera and can't wait to watch the fights with the boys. Most favorable method of victory for Gamera. Decision. Yeah. Three round decision, a bunch of grappling that, that to me is going to be uh, the way. I mean, look, look, Pete, this is all you got to hope for. You better hope you don't lose three straight weeks in a row to me on in the listener contest. I know Jason's on fire, man. I, I look like I'm a <laughs> bum off the street. Um, but I tell you what, I, I've been doing really well with the with GPPs, but more so than that, sports betting is just like I've been absolutely killing it. So uh, that's where I've been really, really making some profit. And and you know, live betting fights is so amazing. What did I live bet last week, Jason? I don't even know if I let you know. I was watching the fight, and then I'm like seeing the odds. I'm like, that's not how I have this scored. And it was the second round just ended. And I'm like, this does not look good at all. And my prediction was wrong, but I threw money live down on the other fighter who still had crazy plus odds and ended up completely working out for me. I was like, yeah, like my eyeballs were saying that is not how the odds should be reflected. Mm -hmm. Was it Ode Osborne? It was Ode Osborne. Good memory. Yeah, it was Ode Osborne. And I, you know, I was just like, I had Charles Johnson. Like I I thought that he was going to absolutely do work. And then I'm watching the fight. I'm like, he didn't. He did not look like he had any momentum in that fight at all. So completely surprised me. But I was able to, you know, kind of right my wrong and make some money. Let's move over to our next matchup. It's going to be the opening fight of the pay per view. We got the UFC debut of Bo Nickel taking on Jamie Pickett. Of course, this match was supposed to take place back in December. Ends up getting delayed here till March. Bo Nickel, uh, depending on where you're at in terms of the betting line, anywhere from a fourteen to one to a twenty-two to one betting favorite. He is ninety-six hundred on DK, sixty-six hundred over there on. Uh, six six hundred for Pickett over on FanDuel. Twenty two dollars for Bo Nickel. Eight dollars for Pickett. I'll tell you, Bo Nickel. 
I really like on FanDuel this week. I think that is a nice salary in terms of how I expect this one to go. Um, I mean, look, Bo Nickel is the real deal. I mean, I've been following this guy since he was an amateur wrestler. You know, I, I think this is a, a classic UFC stylistic matchup to set up here. Oh, yeah. 100%. Lock button Bo Nickel. Lock button Bo Nickel. You guys know I don't say lock a lot. Um, the only issue with Bo is that he comes with a hefty price tag. We have seen fighters with less skill and, you know, pay off. We had what? Myra Buena Silva. She was surrounded by excellent 9,000 options who kind of underperformed. And even at that 106 or 107 fantasy score, she's, she was still required to be a part of that optimal lineup. I think the quick win bonus resides with Bo Nickel. I think that the tremendous takedown upside, more so than anything we've really ever seen, Hamza Shemaev, Colby Covington, Kamar Usman type of levels, if Pickett's so, so tough, the threat of the takedown to open up the striking in the submission skills for Bo Nickel, I think that this kid is absolutely legitimate. I would probably pick him to beat several people within the rankings already. Um, I just don't want him to be rushed too early, similar to how a lot of prospects are rushed over in Bellator. And in Bellator, we see a lot of these prospects kind of, you know, they fail a little bit because they just get brought in too early um, or they have a couple of spectacular performances. And next thing you know, they're fighting some legitimate guys. Like, I don't want to see Bo Nickel, Robert Whitaker or something next. You know what I mean? Like, let's take it slow. Let's get him to get like six fights under him total. And then that's where we can start like chopping at the top five. I, I think he has to get through Jamie Pickett. Jamie Pickett is not going to be a guy that I am getting to at all. 0% exposure for me this week. I just don't see him doing anything outside of landing some Hail Mary knockout, which, again, I don't see happening. Uh, I just don't see any path to victory for him. I know a, a buddy of mine just sees crazy value, and he's like, Jamie Pickett's going to Jamie Pickett's gonna pull off this Bellator type of uh, train derailment of, of Bo Nickel, and I just don't see it. Give me Bo Nickel, 9,600. I'm going to get every combination I can with Bo Nickel just because I know a ton of people are afraid of that price tag. And the prop bets are just insane when you look at here. If you looked at inside the distance, Bo Nickel went inside distance. Now, there's some books that don't have a number up yet. The That's books right. that do, minus 704, minus 549, minus 590, minus 775. It is absolutely crazy. I think the question really becomes is, I think from a betting perspective, I'm looking at that Bo wins by either TKOK or submission prop. Outside of that, I, I mean, I, you can't touch the, the money line on this one. You can't. No, it's a, it's ridiculous, man. I mean, unless you got Drake money, you ain't touching the you ain't <laughs> touching the money line. And uh, I will say that I think Bo Nickel gets this done any way he wants. In the media, he mentioned that he wanted a first round finish. So first round finish sits about minus two hundred. It's absolutely insane. It, I mean, I think Romanov over Chase Sherman had similar inside the distance odds. Somebody in chat kind of mentioned it. Thank you for that. But I I don't really recall many times seeing a fighter with minus 650, minus 700 inside the distance. This is ridiculous, um, but rightfully so. I'm going to get to every combination of Bo Nickel. I hope I'm right. I hope Pickett's tough. I either hope Pickett gets washed really early or he gets completely ragdolled en route to a crazy score. So, yeah, Bo Nickel significantly. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's very evident. The UFC truly believes they have a potential star here in Bo Nickel, and that's why he's been put in this this spot. There's a reason he's been put in the first fight 
on pay-per-view or John Jones pay-per-view. This is a way for the UFC to showcase him. I think now another critical matchup in terms of GPP lines, I do believe is our feature preliminary about between Cody Garbrandt and Trevin Jones. Trevin Jones stepped up here on short nose to take this one. Of course, he is the betting underdog. In this one, he is plus 155, minus 180 for Cody Garbrandt. Garbrandt, 8500 on DK, $16 on FanDuel. Jones, 7700 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. FanDuel, I like the price on both these guys. Um, you know, Cody Garbrandt, I mentioned earlier on the show where he has was extremely open about how his life was in shambles leading into his last fight. And, you know, this is, I mean, look, there is volatility on both sides of this equation, Pete. I mean, you can't trust the chin of Cody Garbrandt. You just can't. No. Yeah, no love. More like no trust. I got no trust in my man. Uh, I like Cody no love. The days of me recommending him for a play are over. Um, I think that he has fallen from greatness. And with all due respect, I think that he needs to be in like the most matchups against grapplers because I don't want to see him get knocked out. I really don't. Um and that chin is so, so susceptible to taking big shots. Like, I think him against Haniyaya, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, go go up against these grappling aces who have limited striking where you can just kind of just put on a performance. Technically, he's better than Trevin Jones. Like, he is fantastic technically. He's probably one of these guys in the gym where it's, it's completely unheard of, of like, man, this kid is so good. He hits the pads great. He spars great. He can wrestle. He can do it all. I just think like as far as fight fight IQ, it's it's there's like zero um, zero fight IQ and not like no necessary adjustments, no necessary adjustments. Let me go through this with you, and this is kind of what I was kind of breaking down to my boy Matt earlier this morning. TJ Dillashaw a lot on the line in their first encounter, um, tons of emotion. Drop TJ Dillashaw, you know he. He is so good offensively, he can go out there and knock out Trevin Jones or pick him apart for 15 minutes and make it look easy. Got into a firefight with TJ Dillashaw, got clipped with a with with a shot, then switch stance, right hook, ends his night. Second, second time around, TJ Dillashaw starts trading right hands, gets into a firefight again, gets hit with a right hand, knocked out. Pedro Munoz, doing well. Having some trouble coming back, doing really well. You saw he kind of just got pissed off, started trading right hands, trading punches back and forth, gets knocked out by a right hand. Surprisingly, lost the decision to Rob Font and didn't get knocked out in that. Kai Kara France dropping down a weight class, gets hit with a right hand. If Trevin Jones has anything good about his game, is that he has a significantly strong right hand. In being a southpaw, he can pump that jab really strong, and it's kind of like a power jab. Um, but his sneaky shovel hook or just his traditional right hook, his lead right hook, is so sneaky. It knocked out Timor Valiev. It knocked out Mario Batista. He ended up losing three fights and is on a three-fight losing streak to Syed Yokob Kakramanov, who is, who is an absolute stud. So the fact that he went three rounds with him before getting submitted tells a lot about like Trevor Jones – He's, he's live and he's going to wrestle also. Uh, and then turning around against Jabba Batrat and Howney Barcelos. Technically, Trevin Jones should get picked apart here against Cody Garbrandt. But I'm telling you, I see Trevin Jones out of Fortis MMA now. They know everything that I'm saying right now. They are very, very smart. Saif Saud is very, very smart. He's going to see that Cody Garbrandt for whatever reason, whether it's peripherals or not, or just 
lack of striking defense on that lead side gets hit with every right hand. I'm picking Tremon Jones to beat Cody Garbrandt here, and I would have never guessed I would say those words because Cody Garbrandt should style on Tremon Jones. Um, he could style on him until he gets hit with a right hand and it's over. Or Cody could actually make this look like a complete mismatch as it should be. But I'm going to go with Trevin Jones. How can I bet against an underdog who has a crazy power in his right hand against a guy who gets hit with every right hand and finished? So, Chloe, you like the Trevin Jones plus 325 to win by TKO KO. I, sh- I sure do. I sure do. And I, I hate to say that because I want Cody Garbrandt to win. But, like, it's either I'm I'm going to just bet against him or I'm not going to bet at all. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have to go with Trevin Jones by KO. Yeah, uh, I think Roman in the chat uh, he says poor Saeed was cut from the UFC. I think he's talking about Saeed Yokub. Uh, more of that story. Let's just say that more of that story. Yeah, I must have missed that. I didn't see that at all. So, yeah, yeah, uh, he, yeah, he, he, yeah. The UFC basically decided they didn't want to be in his business anymore. Interesting. He's so so talented too. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, based on some of the things I heard, I'd be surprised if we see him in the back in the UFC anytime soon. Yeah. Didn't he just like mop the floor with Ronnie Lawrence too, who's an absolute wrestling stud too? Like I'm pretty sure we I wanna uh, say he's two and one in the UFC, I wanna say? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we I picked him over and unless I could just completely made that up, but I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, it's uh, based on some things I heard. I would be surprised if you see him back in the UFC anytime soon. Uh, I mean, but yeah. look, you know, Cody Garbrandt, here's the unfortunate part about Cody. You know where he's likely to end up at some point, right? You know? Fair knuckle. Yep, and it's gonna be it's the worst decision too because like all these guys chasing money, chasing money. The Rockhold one. Uh, yeah, are there people not around Luke that care about him? I I mean he he had a really really good fight against Paulo Costa, like a really really yeah. good fight. So it's just different, you know what I mean? I just it's a different. I don't even like calling it a sport. It's just a different thing. You know, and I, I don't like seeing these guys at the tail end of the career. They built their entire business off of retired fighters or fighters that got washed out of promotion. So it's quite sad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also maybe it's very telling with how much Scott Coker has a relationship with AKA. We know the history with Luke Rockhold that, you know, maybe it's just simply Scott said, hey, I, I don't want to pay that much money for you. I mean, I, I just think it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, about, about a... 0.01% chance that I would buy a $50 bare knuckle pay-per-view. All right. Yeah, good. Me either. <laughs> uh, let's move over. Next up, we got a middleweight matchup here. Or, uh, Derek Brunson and Drake's Duplass East. 7,500 for Derek Brunson, A700 for Duplass East. 17 and 13, respectively, over there on the FanDuel side of the equation. You know, this is my concern with this matchup, Pete, is like I don't really trust either one of these guys' as gas tank. Uh, but these, you know, even though Derek Brunson is much older, he's 39 years old, but these are the type of fights he wins, though. Yeah, man. Uh, Blonde Brunson's a problem, and he is a true problem. Brunson's been through a lot within his career, 14-6 and six in the UFC. Um, absolute stud. Used to just throw down, forget that he was a wrestler. Then some matchups, he remembers he's a wrestler, and he ragdolls his opposition. We've seen Brunson spoil the party for a ton of prospects and a ton of fighters looking to get right. Darren Till, Kevin Holland, Emin Shabazian, uh, like a ton of fighters that the UFC, whether they were trying to build a name off of Derek Brunson or not, he pulls out some of these crazy underdog values. I mean, think about it. Till, he was 7,400 underdog. Kevin Holland, 7,800 underdog. Emin Shabazian, 7,100 underdog. 
Ian Heinish, 7,400 underdog, came through in all those that I just mentioned. Um, I do think that his best path to victory is clearly by testing the takedown defense of Tricus Duplessis. I, I think that regionally, uh, Tricus Duplessis has fantastic submission skills, some pretty, pretty sneaky chokes, um, is able to take the back pretty well, uh, threaten the neck. I love people who hunt the neck. It's my favorite thing personally to do, and I love it when people do the same. Um, inside the UFC, he hasn't really been able to do that. Uh, he only defended one takedown, and that was against Brad Tavares. Uh, we have Darren Till. In that Darren Till matchup, he went 6 of 6 in the takedown department. I, I do think that this is an intriguing matchup, and for me, I circled this fight. I think that Drikus Duplessis is going to be the side that I lean towards. I think the power, he can get it done. Um, he can hurt Brunson on the feet. Brunson's been knocked out several times, and Brunson really, really leaves his neck out there. So I, I actually think that Brunson can really walk into a submission loss, something that a lot of people aren't necessarily expecting. So I, I'm going to project a club and sub for Drikus Duplessis here at 8,700. But as far as underdogs that can really fight for your money, Derek Brunson's a guy with a legitimate resume to go out there and fight for your dollar. Yeah, you know, to me, but the one concern to have on Derek Brunson is he has a massive tendency to rush in with his chin straight up in the air. Yep. And that is that would be a concern for me. But like when you're looking at, you know, when you're you're going through and you're highlighting underdogs to potentially target, you know, when you look at that DraftKings scoring system, you have to look at Derek Brunson if he's able to utilize his takedown uh, defense there. Uh, let's see, a question here from uh, Boofy says, the please round two versus Till was a big concern. Seemed to gas from holding till and punching we saw that um you know his last fight yeah we, we've seen that from duplessis uh, a couple of times uh also um man asking what happened to ian heinish i want to say ian um i don't think he's been released from the ufc i think he's still in the ufc i want to say it's concussion it was concussion related i want to say Interesting. I, I I saw a note about it a couple of weeks ago he did an interview where he was talking about getting ready to come back and i it was something uh, in relation to health was, was the reason that he, he's been kind of away. Prioritizing health is, is, is excellent. You know what I mean? We see Darren Till doing the same thing, looking to get right, probably hasn't been right for some time now. And that's the issue is like, you, you're like, man, they're, they're trying to chase success. Cause we all know we have a short window of opportunity to go out there mm -hmm. and, and get it done. But like, for me, the Drikus Duplessis gassing is something I am somewhat worried about. But to see the output and just anybody in the UFC right there, they have that type of round one output trying to finish your opponent for five straight minutes. I think everybody's going to guess. Um, we, we did see him somewhat catch a second wind uh, in the third round. He looked a, you know, yeah, towards the second as well. But he's the type of guy that looks gassed all the time. You know what I mean? Like breathes with his mouth open and he, he looks tired. But I do think that he's talented enough in the striking and submission wise to get this done over Derek Brunson. So I'm going to lean, lean towards Duplessis here at 8,700. Next up, we got a female matchup between Viviana Rujo and Amanda Hebos, 7,900 for Rujo, 8,300 for Hebos. Hebos, $16 on DK, or excuse me, $16 on FanDuel, $15 for Rujo. Uh, Amanda Hebos is a slight betting favorite in this one, minus 120. Um, you know, to me, Pete, this is can Rujo keep this fight on the feet? Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. And can she land that big right hand or land any power shots? Because we have seen Amanda Hibas a little susceptible to power shots, if I'm being honest. Uh, even regionally, we've seen her get hurt. Uh, Marina Rodriguez knocked her out. But I, I think that she is she doesn't wear damage as well as some other fighters. Um, so I think that Amanda Hibas's best path to victory is just being the better well-rounded mixed martial artist every time she's out there. Um, incorporating takedowns is a huge, huge part of her game. We saw her even incorporate some takedowns and stay out of harm's way against Mackenzie Dern, like two of two in the takedown department. She can defend takedowns if you are looking to initiate it. She has excellent judo as well. She can really toss you on your head. Um, you know, and she, she can throw some high volume. It's really just the, the chin. I, I thought that Amanda Hebos, when she beat Mackenzie Dern, I'm like, hold up. Who the hell is this girl? And then I see her pick up another victory of Reina Marcos and Paige Van Zandt. I'm like, yeah, this girl is going to be fighting for the title. Hasn't really gone quite like that. Um, I, I do think that Amanda Hebos has the higher upside than Viviana Araujo. But with all that being said, tread carefully here because Araujo has some sneaky, sneaky power. Um, I don't think that she's going to have the grappling edge, even though she can incorporate take takedowns in her own right. It's clear to me that Amanda Hebos is the better grappler. So I'm, I'm going to side with her at 8,300. Just has to avoid the big shot. Yeah, that, that's to me. I mean, it's overall, I mean, like, look, when you look at the prop bets, this tells you what Vegas thinks. Um, fight goes to decision minus 240. Plus 175, Arugia to win via decision. Plus 150, he to win via decision. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. That's, um, and, you know, outside of something wild happen, I am expecting it to, to go the distance. Uh, they, they're both pretty tough. We just saw Hebos go three rounds in a split decision. Should have possibly won that over Caitlin Chukagian. Um, and when we did see uh, Viviana Araujo go five rounds against Alexa Grasso. So I am expecting a decision for Amanda Hebos here at 8,300. Well, just kind of searching Twitter to see if we have any news. Got some news. Oh, boy. What? Jeff Neal has missed weight by four pounds. Ooh. Oh, well, I tell you what, he did seem a little irritated when people were asking him about his injury. And we, we do know that this original matchup was kind of pushed back because of an initial injury. What that tells me, and I, I don't know anything in his camp at all, but let's say like you shed most of your weight by running. If you have a knee injury, you're not going to be running a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think it could be injury related. I don't necessarily think it's strategic. But, uh, yeah, four pounds, huh? Interesting. Yeah, and when you miss weight by that kind of weight, you could be giving up a lot more than 20% uh, of your purse. Yeah, I, I mean, what are we asking for if, if somebody does that to us? I, I'm thinking more towards 40. Oh, that's where, that's where negotiations start. I love that, Jason. Yes, <laughs> I love that. That's where the negotiation. You know who I, I really learned that from? Who was um, oh, uh, Gaethje's coach? Um, Trevor Whitman. Trevor Whitman. Yeah. Wow, I love it, man. Yeah, yeah he. It's, uh, it was when um, when Gaethje was fighting Melvin Gillard. So oh it was here. Was, so it's here in Tampa, and Gillard. I mean, he missed weight. Ten pounds, I think it was something like that. Yeah. And so, and uh, he goes, he's like, "Yeah, we're starting negotiation at fifty percent." Wow. 
Holy and Gillard moly. took it. And Gillard took it. 50%. Yeah. That's kind of sad how, how fighters are just they're like, well, I was really banking on getting any money. So I have money out because of training and my, my coaches and all that. So it's like, it's quite sad what, what happened to Gillard. I, you know, I, I haven't even looked at his record. But I know the last time I looked at it, it was not pretty because he just started going downhill, spiraling fast against all it, fights, all yeah, promotions. He was actually getting turned down for licenses. Um, Bare Knuckle was trying to book him a fight. That's what it was. And um, and basically there was a major pushback for him not to get licensed. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. That, that's that's one of those things of you know miss weight. That's where you know if you have good representation around you, that just doesn't take twenty percent. You know, and, and I think it, it does depend on how much of a weight miss it is. Like if, like if it's one pound, all right, twenty percent. But when you start talking four, five, and and up, yeah, you're that number. Perfect. That negotiation starts at a much higher number. But like I was, I was listening to an interview with Joe Selecki, and I'm actually talking to Joe uh, after the show. And uh, he was doing this interview where he was talking about where he lost a fight, and he goes, he's like, man, I've been away from my family. He goes, I've been training. He goes, like, he's like, I just need a payday. And that's the unfortunate part of the fight business is, yep. you know, when, when you do all that and you know he's expecting a child, his second child here in, in the next couple of weeks. And, and it's, it's just, it's, it's the unfortunate part of this business where you lose a fight and you're just like, man, you're just hoping they can find somebody else so you can actually get in there. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice if we had like salaries, right. You know, imagine like we didn't have to worry, like we could just train all the time. We knew that at the end of the year we were making X amount of money. We don't get paid unless we fight. So we got to make weight and then we got to perform and we got to yeah. hope that everything on right. the opposite side, our opponents come through as well. So there's so much riding on each fight to fight. You see all these talk, these guys, I think AJ Fletcher a couple of weeks ago was talking about how he had like 50 bucks in his bank account. Like that is so sad and that's completely absurd to me. I was, I had an interview with Malik Lewis who uh, fought on the contender series last year and he lost. And so he, he's just coming off a, a title win on the regional scene and, he, he, he wasn't trying to make excuses, but he's like, you know, he's like, man, I had, he goes, I had a lot of injuries heading in that contender series fight. He goes, but it was a contender series. And I said, I go, if that was a regional fight, do you pull out? And he's like, yeah, I probably do. Yeah, of course you do. You know what I mean? Like circumstances mean everything. And when you know Dana White's there, like you got people taking fights they shouldn't be taking for a card coming up here in New Hampshire because they know Dana White's going to be in the building. You know what I mean? So it's just like anything to impress the boss. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. There's a there's a, a faction up there in the Northeast ain't exactly happy with the UFC right now. Yeah, because a couple yeah. of guys uh, lost out an opportunity to be on the Ultimate Fighter because of. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about he's not Northeast, but we there is a fighter on this card that was supposed to be on the Ultimate Fighter, but he's fighting mm -hmm. on this card now. So we'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, let's go over our next matchup. We got Julian Marquez taking on Mark Andre Barrios. Uh, this is your favorite fight of the week. The eighty two hundred eight thousand fight Barrios is your eighty two hundred fighter. Eight thousand for Marquez. Uh, Marquez fifteen on Fanduel, sixteen dollars over there on uh, for Barrios. And Barriott is a minus 150 betting favor, plus 125. Uh, Julian Marquez now training at Factory X. Of course, uh, you know, he had to make a, a gym change there after what happened at Glory. So this is now the third gym that Marquez has probably been in the last three, four years. Don't yeah, he, like that. Well, he was initially at Glory. Then he left Glory. This is several years ago. Left Glory, went to Vegas, was at, I'm pretty sure it was Syndicate. <laughs> We know how much, I know how much you love Syndicate. I'm pretty sure it was Syndicate. Then he went back home to Glory, 
then we all know what happened with Glory. Then he has now ended up at Factory X, which is not really a surprise. That's where um, several fighters who were at Glory have, have ended up at Factory X. Yeah, I mean, this is usually my nightmare salary range. And last week I had to take a victory lap because Jordan Levitt came through. And, uh, you know, he's not some fantastic striker by any means. But if you land a, a knee to somebody's chin, most of the time they're going to go down from it. And, uh, you know, he, he pulled it out for us last week. So I was very, very happy that I was on the correct side of it. Um, I still recommend people completely ignore me in this salary range. But for me, I'm, I'm leaning towards Marc-Andre Berrio, if I'm being honest. More consistency, um, consistency with his camp. He's out of Kilcliffe FC. I really love that room. If you go and you you search through their social media, there are names everywhere scattered throughout. Top end of Bellator, um, even in the UFC, big names, veterans, young guys coming through. I, I think that the list goes on and on for who's training down there with Greg Jones, Henry Hooft, a part of Killcliffe FC, formerly known as Sanford MMA. Julian Marquez is a guy who's very, very underwhelming in a lot of his fights and has had to really you know light a fire under underneath him and pull out victories from the jaws of defeat. Uh, Maki Patolo uh, was kind of like putting the work on him. And then I believe James Krause really, really dragged Julian Marquez through the mud and was like, all right, dude, like you really need to get a, a finish here or else we're going to walk away with a loss and came at, you know, four seventeen of round three where he was able to pick up a victory and Maki Patolo kind of took him down, rinse and repeat and, just outwork Julian Marquez. Marquez has some sneaky, sneaky power. We saw him, you know, get a victory over Phil Hawes on the contender some time ago. Um, I know that he's coming off a devastating knockout to Gregory Rodriguez, and I don't necessarily know how, um, know how healed he is, but I, I do love the timeline. That was back in uh, June of 2022 against Gregory Rodriguez, but the inconsistencies of not being a part of a strong camp. I mean, Factory X is a strong camp, yes, but it takes a little bit for an adjustment period. And Marc-Andre Berrio, I do think, is a guy who's on paper, looks like he should lose this fight. But I, I do think that he's kind of been in some tough matchups. I mean, Anthony Hernandez is a stud. Chidi and Jaquan, he's a dangerous striker. Um, Jun Young Park is solid. Christoph Jocko, I mean, the, the list is tough. He did take Jocko to a split decision back in 2019. I'm going to side with Marc-Andre Berrio. I think he finds a way to put together a more complete performance and avoid the damaging power of Marquez in the sneaky submissions en route to a decision. So uh, give me Marc-Andre Barrio. Yeah, this is uh, – I think it's a little high volatility in terms of this one. Yeah. Um, you, know, what, you know, what does the change in, in training to Factory X or Mark Montoya mean for, for Julian Marquez? Um, you know, this is another fight that – God, I hate to say that you probably got a circle as a potential priority fight, but mm. see, I feel like it's somewhat of a snoozer if I'm being honest. I, I think that they are going to be like sparring each other. I, I could be wrong, um, but I don't really love the work rate of Julian Marquez. I think it's quite underwhelming landing like between 40, 50 significant strikes. Mark Andre Barrio kind of doing similar, not crazy accuracy rating. So. I'm probably going to get away from this a little bit. And it, normally it's tough to get away from because of the salary. But the way I'm looking at ownership, it's I'm okay with getting away from it if I'm being honest. I'm either going to be slightly below mm -hmm. or just kind of just pivot elsewhere. I might want to save some money and go to like a Sorokan or 
uh, even a Viviana Auto Ujo. I think there's some some sneaky spots surrounding those salaries. Uh, the UFC just announced a couple of minutes ago that the Neil Rachmanov fight will continue. It will be a catchweight matchup, and Jeff Neil has forfeited 30% of his purse. He's one of two fighters to miss weight on this card, the other nice. being Mana Martinez. We'll talk about that matchup here in a little bit. That fight is still going on. That will also be a catchweight as Mana Martinez has been fined 30%. For missing weight for his matchup. Let's move over to the next fight. We got Ian Gary taking on Song Kanan. 9,300 for Ian Gary. 6,900 for Kanan. 21 for Gary over there on FanDuel. 9 for Kanan. And Ian Gary is a minus 700 betting favorite. What's your take, beat? I love Ian Gary. I, I think that Ian Gary is really, really good. I don't think that there's like too much of fading Ian Gary, whereas like Patty Pimblett, I'm probably going to fade him in his next matchup. I Like I, I really will. Uh, especially if he's going up against somebody who has a striking advantage, which most people do. And if they can defend the takedown, then I really, really like a lot of people over Patty Pimblett. Ian Gary is pretty well-rounded, if I'm being honest. Like, I was sleeping on his hands a little bit. And uh, I know that th- for this camp, he worked extensively with Liam Batko Harrison a lot, who is one of the best kickboxers of all time. Um, you know, just very, very highly touted, tough, powerful guy with devastating combinations. And Ian Gary looks so crisp on the pads. It was crazy. I think that the X factor that he brings into most of these fights is his grappling, like excellent grappling, very good throws, good judo throws, good submissions. And I think he's mean. I listened to an interview with him and he's like a stone cold, a stone cold killer. And like you, you need that mentality in fighting. Uh, Some people are like, you know, he's trying too hard. I just really think that this is a guy who's hungry to to climb the rankings. He's surrounded by a good team, Killcliffe FC as well. So like he's getting in talented sparring sessions, good grappling sessions. He's a big guy for the welterweight division. He fills his frame re- really well. Outside of Song Kanan landing a powerful shot, I think Ian Gary completely outclasses Song Kanan en route to a high score. So Ian Gary, 109 against Jordan Williams. That's the fight I took a lot from and said, He's eating shots from Jordan Williams, mm-hmm. whether it was octagon jitters or whatnot. I'm not too I'm not too sure of this kid. So then I was a little hesitant, still picked him against Darian Weeks. Uh wasn't a good performance. He scored 61. Gabe Green, I'm like, all right, here's our guy. Gabe Green's gonna do it. Gabe Green's gonna go in there, throw powerful combinations, look to take him down. He's gonna just come. He's he might land a big shot and knock out Ian Gary. Ian Gary's hands were phenomenal. He picked Gabe Green apart. He lit him up like a Christmas tree. Threw 193 significant strikes, landed 116. I think something similar is going to happen, but I don't think Song Kanan is going to take that much damage. I think he's going to get knocked out or submitted. Uh, so I like Ian Gary inside the distance here. Um, but outside of a big right hand, big powerful shot, I don't see Song Kanan winning, but it is MMA at the end of the day. So I will sprinkle a little Song Kanan, but I'm pretty confident Ian Gary gets this done and has a solid score. You know, I mentioned earlier on the show, I think there's going to come a point where we got to fade Ian Gary. I don't know if this is the spot, but I do I do have concerns about Song Kanan coming out there and just throwing some bombs. What kind yeah. of what we saw with Jordan Williams. And, and, and if you go back to that Jordan Williams fight, I, I think, you know, a little bit of bad IQ there by Jordan Williams there at the end of the first round ultimately cost mm-hmm. him that one. I just, I, I think I was like you. Uh, Ian Gary coming in, I my thoughts were how high the ceiling was. And I just don't think he's delivered the way I expected him to. And that, I think that's a concern for me. Gabe green fight though. Like that last one, I was like, am I wrong on my analysis with this kid? Cause I was hesitant. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, 
I don't really throw out the word prospect too much or plant my flag behind some certain fighters unless I am confident that they can just torch through people. Tom Aspinall, Hamzat Shemaev, uh, Jack Della Maddalena, Aaron Blanchfield. Like those are fighters I've planted my flag behind. Even Romanov. Ian Gary is not one of those guys that I planted my flag and said, yeah, this kid's it. Did I see Romanov got booked against, uh, is it Volkov? Yeah, I, I, I'm still on, I got to... I got I'm, I'm a little unsure about that. I, I think I might be going bulk <laughs> off, man. I don't trust Romanov's cardio. Yeah, that, that's definitely an issue there. Uh, next up, we got Mana Martinez. Of course, I uh, just mentioned he did miss weight, but this fight is going to go forward. He missed weight by uh, two pounds as he takes on Cameron Salmon. Salmon, 8,800, 7,400 for Mana, 19 and 11, respectively, over there. And Cameron is a minus 260 batting favorite, Pete. Yeah, I mean, like, Mana Martinez is a guy who. A lot of people talk about how good he is in training. When I watch his fights, I just really don't see it. I feel like he's losing a large majority of them, but he lands a big shot and he gets back into the fight. Loses majority of the minutes, lands a big shot, gets back into it. And if you can take the shot, you're probably going to beat him because you're going to be able to outwork him or, or take him down in route to you know getting a decision victory. If you have a poor chin, I think Mana Martinez is going to expose it. Uh, I do think that Cameron Simon is pretty green, but he's very talented. You know, with me even saying that, his combinations he landed against Stephen Kozlo, even though Kozlo took him down and is a very, very good pressure wrestler and grappler. Kozlo, I mean, uh, we had Cameron Simon, you know, withstand that, come back, able to put together some excellent combinations and finish Stephen Kozlo en route to a 118 performance. And if you think about it, he didn't really do much until the flurry where he was just starting to reverse. He had six reversals, so that really racked up that that score. Um, he he landed 53 significant strikes. He didn't land any takedowns, but it's just how he went out there and put together a finish. He scored 118 for a third-round finish, and basically in rounds one and two, there wasn't much. So I, I think that the upside is tremendous for Cameron Simon against a guy who is okay in Mana Martinez. Simon's able to, you know, he's hittable, but I can say the same thing about Mana Martinez. And the more well-rounded of the two is Cameron Simon. So I'm not going to, you know, talk you away from an underdog Mana Martinez, like landing a knockout shot. I'll get to him a little bit, not going to ignore it, but I, I actually am picking Cameron Simon to get another victory inside the UFC. I think the, the future is bright for this kid for the division. Mono Martinez is also another former glory fighter. He is back uh, training home in Houston where he had been uh, training. They've built a nice little team there in Houston. Uh, him, Yanez, um, Rafael Stotts is in Houston now. So they've mm-hmm. built a nice little team there. And, and I know they've kind of done some cross training at some other gyms as well. Next up, we got a female matchup. We got Jessica Pinay taking on Tabitha Ricci. Ricci, 8,900, 7,300 for Pinay. 18 for Ricci on FanDuel. $11 over there uh, for Pinay. A minus 300 betting favorite for Tabitha Ricci. Pete, uh, 8,900. This is kind of in that salary range where you start to kind of, I for me at least, that's where I start looking at ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Can I blow your mind right now? Jessica Penne, Emily Dakota, Carolina Kovacavich, Lupi Godinez, Daniel Taylor, Jessica Andraj, Joanna Janjacek, Rana Marcos. That's who she's fought inside the UFC. Uh, she's three and four in the UFC. She has only attempted one submission inside the UFC, hmm. one recorded submission. That when I saw that stat, it completely blew my mind. And that was against uh, Carolina Kovacavich. This is a fighter who's 
renowned to have some pretty solid jujitsu. And that's what everybody says, you know, like Penne is a very strong grappler. I think that she's a solid grappler. I think she, it, you know, can, she could flow a little bit, but I don't find her to be a dangerous grappler. And she's too comfortable being on her back and not, if you're going to be on your back, at least have a crazy guard, throw up arm bars, throw up triangles, threaten with submissions. Hell, go even for an umaplata, whether you just use it for a sweep or actually going for the submission. She just hasn't done it. And now she's in her 40s. So, uh, I mean, she's if she's not 40, she's damn near 40. So, 7,300 outside of armbar from guard. I just think she gets completely outworked by Tabitha Ricci, who throws at a high volume, wrestles at a, a significantly high volume. It's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. Went 5 of 11 in the takedown department against Maria Oliveira. 5 of 10 against Poliana Viana. I think Tabitha Ricci is going to have to be careful. Obviously, this is the biggest name that she's fought, Jessica Penney. I just think that it's Tabitha Ricci's time. I, I think it's Tabitha Ricci's time. And uh, I'm going to be doing the same thing as you, like kind of paying attention to this ownership, seeing if things fluctuate a little bit because uh, I'd have to go a little bit more aggressive on her in hopes that she can really get it done, whether it's Takedown City or en route to a finish. That would be a tremendous feather in Tabitha Ricci's cap. Yeah, I mean, that that's where, you know, we, we kind of always, I mean, obviously we're all going to look at, you know, those fighters that are above, you know, that that range, you know, the above, you know, right underneath that 9,000 range, maybe find a little bit of a value there. Let's move next up. We got uh, Damon Blackshear taking on Fareed Basharat. Basharat, 9,100, 7,100 for Blackshear. Uh, overall on the FanDuel side of the equation, $19 for Basharat and $10 for Blackshear. Basharat is approaching a 5-1 to one betting favorite, Pete. Careful with this fight. I think that Fareed Basharat's very good. I think that he is very, very good. But do not sleep on uh, Damon Blackshear at all. Comes from a solid camp. Jackson Wink, uh, pretty talented wrestler. I actually have always thought that Yusuf Zalal is solid. Like I, I don't think that Yusuf Zalal is a bad fighter by any means. I think that he has pretty good striking, uh, tricky footwork, can incorporate wrestling and scramble pretty well. I thought for a short notice replacement, Damon Blackshear did pretty well. Went one of five in the takedown department, but with this, these metrics don't show. He had two re- nice reversals, one submission attempt. Is his ability to take the back of a lot of his opponents? Um, he's able to, you know, threaten with submissions, and I think he's going to have to be relentless here against Fareed Basharat. There's always the question when we have brothers inside the UFC: who's the better brother? I don't know to this point. I think that there's clearly more to look for and, and more to reside with Javid Basharat than there is with Farid, who's making his UFC debut. I think only time will tell who's the better UFC fighter. Um, I, I hold Javid Basharat in pretty high regard. Mm-hmm. I know that Farid is pretty good as well. He looked good on the Contender Series. I think he's going to be able to get it done. He is training with some talented guys, Marab in Vegas, uh, Amir Albazi. Like There's several guys that he's working with he obviously works with his brother as well that room is super super talented at extreme couture so i I think he's going to be ready i think his striking is and how dynamic he is gives him the edge in this matchup i'm just not in love with the odds you know what i mean like i i i just think it's a little bit too rich for a guy making his ufc debut i think that he's very very skilled but if you go strength of schedule and you look at each of these fighters under a microscope, mm-hmm. you have Damon Blackshear fighting more notable names, stronger stronger adversaries, where Fari Basharat's in some pretty matchups to make him a look a little bit better and a little bit more appealing to the likes of uh, Dana White or a high promotion. So 
I'm still going to go with free Bashra, but be careful. I, I might actually get a little bit more aggressive with Demond Blackshear here than the public. Mm-hmm. Now I get you. I mean, and I think that's once again kind of looking at that ownership. And of course, if you want to show your support here for what me and Peter are doing here, uh, our friends over there are stochastic. Got an offer for you. Just go into the description below, and you can take advantage of that offer. And then when you hit that link, and you take advantage of that deal they have, that does uh, that does financially benefit myself and Pete. So we do appreciate that. Of course, so if you could share this well with your friends and, and let them know that this is where you can catch Pete and I every week here. We will be here tomorrow, four thirty p.m. Eastern time, for a one hour Q and A to fill out the, any questions you may have as you're developing those lineups there. Now our first fight of the night features a man that was actually supposed to be on the alternate fighter PFL vet and Razabov taking on Esteban here. Uh, Razabov 9,700 for Esteban. Uh, Esteban is a plus 220 betting underdog and uh, you know Pete more times than not even though I hate getting to the first fight of the night this fight usually 10 does uh, more times than not it does end up optimal. Yeah I think you've kind of like you know, gotten away from that rule. There was a long time. I have, I have. Yeah, you didn't really (laughs) get to the first fight of the night. And I think that we have embraced the volatility a little bit, especially, you know, with how we've gotten better with playing DFS and, uh, you know, playing game theory as well. So I I do think that Loik Rajabov is the clear favorite here. Um, He was one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to win the PFL tournament. Uh, He was very good. He is very good. He incorporates some very good wrestling, throws thunderous hands as well. I think the one question mark and asterisk is always his gas tank. Um, And the fact that this is on short notice, but this is a guy who was supposed to be an alternate on the the Ultimate Fighter or was supposed to be a part of the Ultimate Fighter. So you would like to think, and from everything I was trying to find on social media, tagged photos and all that, he's been training. So he should be prepared. But – Cutting weight is something we can't really put our finger on. He could be in shape, but he could not be able to shed the pounds as easily as some other fighters, you know what I mean, who had a full camp. So um, I'm not going to get away from Esteban Rebovich here. I think that Rebovich is the clear superior finisher of the two. Uh, Hasn't fought notable names, hasn't fought in a large promotion, hasn't really been tested. Much of an early first round and second round finisher. The longer this fight goes, I would like to think that Loik Rajabov's just a little bit too much and more well-rounded than Esteban Rebovich, who has thunderous power in his hooks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, outside of Rajabov gassing, which is something that I really wouldn't bank on or know of, I think that Loik Rajabov here gets a, a decision win. I just I'm not going to say fade this fight. But I just have a feeling it's going to go the distance. It's not really going to result in the best DFS score. I hope I'm not wrong. But as far as like 9,000 options, I'm not really inclined to to pick a guy in Loic Rajabov at 9,000 over mm-hmm. like a uh, an Ian Gary, a Valentina Shevchenko, a Bo Nickel, Shavkat Rachmanov, hell, even a Fareed Bashra. You know what I mean? Like there's some so there's some appealing 9,000 options, and I can't wait to see what the what the optimal lineup is. I think it's going to be quite unique. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit under the weight, underweight to uh, Rajabov here in hopes that he can get a decision win but not break the slate. Of course, uh, we're going to get into your questions here, here in a moment. Let's get into our straight-up fight picks here. Pete, uh, I think everyone knows where we're going on the main event. Oh, yeah, baby. Let's go Cyril Gaon. I'm going Cyril Gaon. I'm being different today. Give me John Jones. Uh, okay. Cove main event, uh, Shevchenko. Shevchenko. 
Uh, I was on Rachmaninoff before the weight miss, but even more on Rachmaninoff at this point. Yeah, I don't think the weight miss is going to help Neil. I'm going to go Rachmaninoff. Uh, I will go Matthias Gamrot. I thought you were going to go the other way. Okay, I'm going to go Gamrot. Uh, Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel by whatever he wants. <laughs> um, I think we're going to be on the opposite sides here. I'll go Cody Garbrandt, even though I understand, I understand what I'm saying here and taking a chance on Cody. Yeah, I'm going to go Trevin Jones right hand over. This is the one that I keep going back and forth on. Duplessis. Yeah, my boy. Rodriguez uh, Duplessis. I'll go Viviana Rujo in a little bit of an upset. Okay, I like that. I'm going to go uh, Amanda Hibas. I'm going to go another underdog in Julian Marquez. Okay, I'm going to go uh, Marc-Andre Berrio. I'll go Ian Gary. Ian Gary. Uh, I'll go Cameron. Yeah, Cameron Simon. Uh, Ricci. Ricci. Uh, Basarat. Yep, Basarat for me. And uh, I'll take uh, Razabov. Razabov for me as well, man. Uh, getting some questions. Um, first up, uh, Sam over here. He says, uh, being 14 fight car, all you have usual questions in a different ways. Top three cash. Uh, for me, Jones, Nickel, and my third. I mean, I hate giving. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, especially because of the five round. Be. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's gotta be how you gotta do the cash. Yeah. Top three GPPs. Um, I still think Jones is probably atop that list. I just, I, I keep thinking about, even though I like Jones to win the fight, you know, I, I keep thinking about, okay, at 7,800, Gone can get to 100 points in a win fairly easily, fairly easily. I mean, yep. but I think he's going to need knockdowns to be able to get to that number. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see why some people have reservations about this fight, not making it into the optimal lineup. Um, I think it's going to carry a tremendous amount of ownership. So if you want to get away from it, by all means, it's going to separate yourself from the pack 100%. Just make sure you're targeting correct fights, yeah, the I correct mean, GPP fights. Yeah, I mean, like GPP, I, I, I would say this, and, and Sam, as a just an overall fight aspect, um, to me, the fights you got to look at, Gamrot Turner, Garbrandt Jones, Uh, and then the third one, Stu Plessy Bronson for me atop the list. Yeah, I mean a lot. Yeah, just because of the cardio, both those guys. Uh, top three underdogs. Um, I would put Surreal Gone in, in a top three underdog. I mean, I, I, oh. you know, yeah. I mean, it's just a, even though I like Jones, I think if you look at you know underdogs, I think had the best shot to win. I, I look at some of the names that stick out to me: Gone, Turner, Jones, Arujo. Would be probably my yeah. Top I'm four. gonna go, Gone Jones. The last one's a little tricky. I might say Brunson, even though I am a Duplessis guy. You know what I mean? Just because it's it's just a fight. I, I expect to be fantasy goodness. Uh, favorite inside the distance fights. Top optimal plays. Uh, inside the distance. Um, nickel Pickett would be at the top of my list. Yeah, Bo Nickel inside the distance. Bo, Bo Nickel round one minus yeah. two hundred. And I mean, look, the other side of that is what does Bo Nickel look like in in minute four? We don't I think know. He looks like 
fan- fantastic. I, I, I do too. <laughs> but it's, an unknown. It's, it's just an unknown at this point, you know? Uh, I would agree with you. Um, top leverage plays that can break the slate. Um, in terms of leverage plays that could break the slate. I'm surprised. I, I, I thought Cyril Gon would be a lot lower owned. Um, you know, I, I just didn't find too many people that would be on that same side as me. I think it's more of a stack than anything. Um, but I, I think that probably Trevin Jones is probably one of those leverage plays on the slate where it's just like, yeah, you got a ton of ton of low low ownership there. Yeah. Um, top dart pump plays. Um, Grosso is a cash pump play for me, not, not necessarily a GPP right. pump play. Um, other pump plays I would probably look at. Blackshear would be yeah. probably a pump play. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. I mean, I, I'm not getting to any Jamie Pickett. I might not get in get to any um, Alexa Grosso, but outside of I'll probably get to some Alexa Grasso. I'm debating if I want to get to any Song Kanan. Yeah. Uh, if he lands a right hand, he could break the slate, but I just don't see it. Top three parlay picks. So if I was going to put together a three-fight parlay, I, I would stay away from Bo Nickel just because of the odds. I mean, it's just so damn crazy. Um, <laughs> Ian Gary... Shavkat Rachmanov, John Jones. Interesting. Love it. Uh, his overall, his, do you have a parlay? Parlay for me? Not at the moment. I'll probably have one for you uh, on tomorrow's show. Okay. Uh, his over-under is seven and a half. 14 fights. Yeah, over. Yeah, over would be the one that I would lean to as well. Uh, Tristan asked about highest priority fights. Uh, Gamrot Turner, Nickel Pickett, Garbrett Jones would be my top three. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, well, I, know I there just were, can't I, wait. I feel like there were some other questions that were asked. I'm trying to find it in our Discord. We'll be there tomorrow, too. So I can't wait to see what everybody has for lineups. Hopefully we don't have any cancellations this week. So yeah. Uh, um, best value plays under eight K on DraftKings. Gone. You have to put in that. Yeah, 7,800. Um, yeah. Turner 7,600. I'd put in that mix. Jones 7,700. I'd put in that mix. Brunson 7,500. Mm-hmm. Mono Martinez, a little bit of upside there. Those probably the ones in, in Blackshear. Yeah, and, and as far as like who the promotion wants to win, like that's I would agree. Like a, a promotion wants certain fighters to win, could influence some people. I I just think that's more of like it's nice if it happens. We've seen a ton of people just spoil the party for the UFC, and you could tell when Dana White's pissed off when things don't go the way that the promotion plans. Of course, like when we see you know prospects, like if Bo Nickel gets destroyed by you know Jamie Pickett he's going to be upset. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you want high profile names. Like 
of course, every time Conor McGregor fights, it's a more lucrative night. Um, that could influence some people, whether they believe, whether they want to believe so or not. But at the end of the day, like we've been seeing some weird scorecards, but I think it's more so lack of understanding the sport than it is anything. Uh, let's get some uh, questions in here from the YouTube chat. It's, uh, this comes in from Ryan. says, if we roster Shevchenko and Nickel and DraftKings, you're only left with seventy-seven fifty left in salary. Can we still build a competitive lineup with GPP winning upside? Great question. I mean, I don't know if Nickel and Shevchenko is the way. I think you got to have one. They're a little too, little too rich. Um, that's too much salary, 96 and 94. That's way too much. You know what I mean? That's 19,000 right there. So it's like, I'd say one of them. Stick to one. Yeah. You know, you need a lower end 9,000 or mid 8,000 mixed with a Bo Nickel or Shevchenko. Not too, not too high nines. Oh, Pete Senior in the chat. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was referencing. <laughs> I know, I know, I think Pops, you know, I, I would agree that sometimes cer- certain judges are influenced by, by things and more so, you know, you could tell what a promotion wants to do. At least we can, because we know what we're talking about. Like, but it doesn't go like that. There are some people who want to be in the good graces of the UFC or certain promotions, for sure, of course. But at the end of the day, if you put out a terrible card and the internet is dogging you, you're going to know about it. Look, look, I don't want to sit in that seat. I do not want to sit in that seat. Yeah. Me either, brother. Me either. I And that's why I said, like, you were like, you remember you told me this. You're like you'd have to do some judging. I'm like I wouldn't do no judging. I would just do refing because my experience has been in the cage, and I'm telling you right now, like I would ref one thousand percent. And my mom, my dad, my girlfriend, everybody's like, you should do this when you retire. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, but not. I'm not crossing that bridge yet. Uh, far from it. But I, I plan on refing. I don't want to do the collab. Oh, ref some nights, judge some. I don't want any. Ex- no, no, that's not going to be. Like, I think all ex-fighters, they're looking for to make some money. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking these, you know, these bare-knuckle fights, learn to be a judge. Give back to the community. You, you complain about judging all the time or you complain about refing all the time. You should know the sport better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Get yourself involved in the sport that made you. Uh, next up, Samuel, any stackable fights? Maybe the co-main event? You think the main event could be stackable? I feel like in God, can you imagine John Jones tons of takedowns? He'd have to. I, I, I feel like you win. Yeah, I, I feel like you need a gun win for that to be stackable. I think the salaries would have to be flipped, don't you? Yeah. Like a loser with takedowns. I mean, a, a lower a lower salary fighter with takedowns would have to lose, and the higher striker with more volume i don't know it's interesting to me but i I don't think i'm going to stack anything this week yeah i I don't see especially when you're talking about 14 fights i mean if if you're at 10 fights 11 fights then then i think it makes a little more sense uh pete let's end the show talking a little bit about the uh, prop sites over there so let's go over to prize picks i mentioned about over at prize picks i think there's some really interesting numbers out there um i'll go oh just kind of working down the card Shevchenko, I like the more two and a half takedowns. If this thing hits, you know, four, you know, round four, she's going to get at least three takedowns. I would be shocked if that doesn't go over. Um, I kind of like the over one and a half takedowns on Shotcock Rock Monoff at one and a half. Um, uh, the other ones, uh, Bo Nickel, man, 
the number, the fight time was four and a half minutes. It's now down to four. I really wouldn't touch much on Bo Nickel over there. Um, the other ones that, that stuck out to me, I'm trying to find the ones that really stuck out to me. Um, the Ian Gary takedowns at a half. Give me more on that one. I think yeah, Song, I like song has been taken that. down. I think that's one that's a mispriced over there on, on the price pick side of the equation. Or Song hits him with a right hand. He's like, hell no, I'm, I'm grappling <laughs> him. So uh, I, I like that line as well. Good call. Is there anything else on price picks that stick, stuck out to you? Not really. I was kind of just looking at these bow nickel props and like, I mean, maybe you go fight time four, but I'd hate to lose that to like four minutes and 20 seconds. Like that would be dumb. Fantasy score is a little tricky over on that platform. So um, probably go significant stri- significant strikes of Valentina Shevchenko against a boxer who likes to strike 52 and a half, something that's just a little low in my opinion, but it all comes down to the game plan of Shevchenko. I think she just blends it so, so well. Uh, over at uh, Underdog Fantasy, I do like the two, two of the props on Ian Gary. Uh, his takedown is at a half. I like more than that. Um, finishes half. I like more. You know, I think he gets a finish uh, in, in that matchup. Um, you know, also over there, I would. God, I mean, Bo Nichols takedowns at two over on Underdog. I'm tempted to say less because I think it may only take one. Yeah, I I don't. I hope for my sake at 9600 Bo Nickel has to get multiple takedowns. Then we can actually see his his true skill set. Yeah. Like that's what you want. You want somebody to test him to see him in 10 minutes. 10 minutes of fighting. If bone if you give me 10 minutes of bone nickel fighting, he breaks the slay at 9600. I'm just completely convinced. Look, and then over at uh Super Draft, I, I do like the uh the numbers on the Ganrot Turner fight. You know, a lot of it's kind of you know, the way we've kind of talked about the DraftKings and FanDuel slay of this one. Um Shevchenko uh, as a champion at one point six, I think is interesting over there. Um, you know, but if you're looking kind of at at some potential uh value plays over there, maybe you look at someone like uh a Duplessis, a Trevin Jones, um Rachmanov, I would probably put more in the champion than I would in the flex position. Yeah. Good calls, man. Absolutely good calls. I uh, can't wait to see what's in store for tomorrow's show. What questions you guys have? If you didn't tune in to us live today, please save your questions for tomorrow. We're on at, what, 4.30? An hour Four, before yeah. the fight start? 4.30 Eastern time. There we go. It means I actually have to work wait. on a Saturday. Yeah, well, I always... I am not working on a Saturday night, so that's going to be nice. And, uh, yeah, just be able to kick back, watch the fights, see where we're right, see where we're wrong. And if we're wrong, still able to make some money and uh, make it a profitable night for everybody. I mean, look, we, we see that background. We got we got to get Pete some money to pay for all these diapers. <laughs> oh, my God, I know. Everybody's super generous. We got so many diapers, but a lot of people telling me that's not going to last long. So, well. Uh, what are we on? 33 days? Baby's coming within 33 days. So holy moly, it's getting real. Yeah. Yeah. This could be it'll be here before you know it. it, it it'll be wow. uh, you know, you know, right beginning of April. And uh, you know, I'm gonna get this. Hey Pete, show starting in five minutes. You're like, hey man, I'm I'm changing I'm changing the diaper right now. I'll be there as soon as I can. Yeah, imagine. She'll be she'll be joining us for the for the shows. That'll be really cool. Um, but yeah, man, we're excited. Beyond excited, grandparents are excited. Just all in all, the families are just just so so happy, and I, I can I cannot wait. That's awesome. That's awesome. But uh, of course, as Pete mentioned, we will be here tomorrow, four thirty p.m. Eastern time. Of course, uh, hit up that contest we have over on DraftKings. It's right here in the description. Also, if you've not uh, 
jumped into that Discord channel, do that as well. Link is below. We will talk to you tomorrow. We appreciate everyone tuning in for our preview of UFC 285.